0: 6, uh, specifically today, verse 13. Uh, you just did the scripture reading in that prayer, uh, because we are focusing on the Lord's Prayer as kind of themes as we make our way through six weeks of 40 Days of Prayer. Uh, if you're just joining us, your guests with us today, uh, 40 Days of Prayer is something we've done now for the last, I think this is the third year in a row, that uh, we've done this with our greater Alliance family. When I say Alliance, I mean our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. We call it the Alliance for short, and it's a lot easier to put on business cards and stuff. Uh, and the branding looks better. So um, we call it the Alliance, but we are the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and we are a global uh, denomination, just a, a piece of the big church uh, across the world. And um, we, you can see a map out there of the places that we are. and There's some information uh, in that little alcove in the lobby of the resource desk if you want more information about our church. But again, uh, just to reemphasize that Pizza with the Pastor, we will cover a lot of that as we're uh, having some pizza together want to invite you to that. Uh, that is next uh, next Sunday. Um, now, we are going to be in this last section. Um, depending on the translation you have, it either says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or it says, deliver us from the evil one. And we're going to get to the significance of why that matters uh, in a little bit. And so the six sections of the Lord's Prayer that we work through, you remember we kind of said there, six petitions is kind of the Uh, the word you might use in a commentary, but the six sections of the Lord's Prayer uh, are structured a little bit like a ladder. Uh, And so we sort of start up in heaven with who God is, and then we kind of move down here uh, to us. Uh, So we start with God and we kind of get to us. And what we're going to see for just a few minutes today, uh, I'm really on the clock today. So uh, what we're going to see is that um, proper prayer according to Jesus, right? This is a template prayer. Uh, In Luke's gospel, they ask him, Jesus, how should we pray? And Jesus answers, and this is the template he lays out. Um, And so proper prayer, according to Jesus, includes praying for spiritual protection. Uh, Now, depending on your church background, um, some of us in here might be like, oh, good. We're going to finally be putting oil on everybody and like doing spiritual warfare, you know, chill out. But then others of us who are, like, weirded out by that whole thing, you need to come along, too, because this is a real part of our faith, okay? So this final petition has two parts to it. So it's a six parts, and then this final one has two parts. We're going to cover those today. Uh, The first is—I'm just going to say this word, so maybe you'll remember this—but the first one is the apophatic way, the negative way. Lead us not into temptation. And then the second request is positive— but deliver us from the evil one. So that's the two sections we're going to cover today. So, what does "lead us not into temptation" mean? What does that mean? It can, here's what it can't mean. It can't mean, as some might think, but they're wrong about this. It can't mean that God is the sort of prime mover behind all of your temptations. And when we say tem, when we say temptation, we don't mean Sin. Temptation itself is not sin, right? There is a line we cross of willingness, and that's when we step into sin. But it's wrong to think that lead us not into temptation is that sort of begging God not to tempt us. Because listen to what James says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, because God himself tempts no one. So it's not God tempting you. It's something else. On the other hand, there are Christians who have kind of thought that if we truly say this prayer, we will be delivered from all temptation. And maybe there's coming a day when we will never face temptation again in our lives. But the Bible is clear that temptation and church history is clear that temptation and suffering, I want you to connect those two ideas today, are an unavoidable part of human existence. That is a normal, unavoidable part of existing in a fallen genesis 3 broken by sin world and so all the apostles all the great saints have lived in continual temptation and we'll get to this that's part of what makes them a great saint but the bible is clear that it's unavoidable and so the key to what lead us not into temptation means is found in the words now this i'm going to just give you a free plug here this is why sometimes doing word studies in your bible is really helpful And you don't have to be a Greek scholar, you don't have to know anything, you just have to get some helps, and there's plenty of these online, but if you understand the word that gets translated into temptation in this text, it'll really help you, because that word has two meanings. Uh, First, it could mean enticement that has the result of causing you to sin. Like if I was like, I'm going to tempt you with this ice cream, even though you're on keto, right? Like, that's a kind of temptation. Some of you are, like, really nodding your head. I can't say that to me. It's my cheat day. So it means that it's a uh, uh, an enticement that the result is to cause you to sin. Or, this is the second one, it can be a test or a trial of your faith. And so this word occurs 21 times in our New Testament. And 20 of those 21 times, including this time... Are that second one where it's a testing or a trial. And so taking that reality about that word into account, lead us not into temptation, means something like this. Lord, please don't allow us to come under the sway of the kind of temptation that will overpower us and cause us to sin. And this is really supported by, uh, there's a Jewish evening prayer that Jesus most likely knew and probably prayed, Jesus was Jewish, and and it goes like this. Lead me not into the power of transgression, and bring me not into the power of sin, and not into the power of iniquity, and not into the power of temptation, and not into the power of anything shameful. And so here's the idea. Again, Lord, please preserve me from the kind of temptation that I cannot overcome. Save me from that, Lord. From temptation that will bring me under its influence and cause me to fail, right? This is kind of like the, uh, Lord, don't give us a lighter load, give us stronger backs kind of prayer. And so we can't help but being exposed to to suffering slash temptation. When I say temptation today, hear that as a subcategory of suffering, okay? And so the prayer is not that we be spared being tempted at all. Actually, God would be unloving if he gave that to us. And again, I say this all the time. Jesus in the Bible have never promised you a life free of suffering or temptation. It's not in there. It's not in your Bible. It's not in Christian history. It's just not. Jesus is not teaching us to pray that we would never have to face temptation slash suffering, okay? Jesus is instead teaching us to pray that we that we be spared from those temptations from Satan, our enemy, we'll get to that, that we can't withstand. Lord, save me from the stuff that I can't withstand. And so the reality is that temptation and suffering in the hand of God's sovereign will is a shaping tool that can somehow, ultimately, be for our good. And those of you who've been through suffering and come out the other side can understand this. Those of you who are in the suffering right now, it's really hard to see, but you just have to lean not on your own understanding, but trust in God and in his ways and make yourself part of the community of faith where you've got people who've been through some stuff before. Now, this might seem kind of crazy and counterintuitive. How in the world could temptation be ultimately good for us in the hands of God? But temptation, don't forget this molded, suffering and temptation molded the life and the ministry of Jesus, literally bookended it, okay? His ministry began with 40 days in the wilderness, which were just temptation. And we're, we're coming up on that season in the year when we remember that in a season of Lent, and we'll get to that uh, about middle of February. And then just about three and a half years later, on the other end of Jesus' earthly ministry, in Gethsemane, he triumphs again over temptation as he conquers what? The impulse to flee from the cross. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. And so the writer of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, speaks to this molding effect um, of the suffering and the earthly life of Jesus. Now, this, this verse, if you understand the, the basic tenets of Christianity, that Jesus is God. He's 100% God. And 100% man, this verse kind of is mind blowing because it doesn't make sense. He says this For it was fitting that Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that's you and I, uh, ladies, your sons here, guys, we're bride in another place, so it's fine. Um, we should make that, that, that Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make. The founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through suffering. So God made Jesus perfect through suffering, part of which is temptation. Now, how can Jesus be made perfect if he's God? That's the mystery of the the hypostatic union, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. But what that means is he has experienced in his humanity everything he needed to experience to be as uh, it, it says in the scriptures, a a compassionate high priest who is not unaware of our weakness. He was tempted in every way, just like we are, but without sin. And so suffering, if suffering, which temptation is a piece of help to shape the life and the ministry of Jesus, it's obviously going to have to do something with your life as well. You are not greater than the master. Temptation is the specific kind of suffering which is necessary for the development of your moral character, which God cares about. Why? Because moral character is freedom. When you have high moral character, you can walk in freedom because you have the power to overcome temptations and sin. So listen to the words of the commentator William Barclay on this. Temptation is not so much the penalty of manhood, right? Get this in your mind. Flip this around in your mind. To be tempted is not the penalty for you but it is the glory of manhood. It is that by which a person is made an athlete of God. Temptation, conquered temptation, is the finished weightlifting set for the muscles of your morality. Conquered temptation is like you finishing a weightlifting set for the muscles of your morality. That's why the scriptures over and over teach us to have the long view in mind. Right? James, verse 1 again. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, not if, when you meet trials of various kinds. What kinds? Various. Any kind. Temptation being one of those. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith, remember the definition of the word temptation, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That your faith will be rooted in Show me any Christian in the history of our faith. Show me anyone in this room who's a mature believer, and there's plenty of them in here, who we might regard as an example to follow, and what you will find 100% of the time is a person who has walked through suffering and temptation. That's just the way it is. So again, the proper prayer, uh, when you think about temptation, is not that we be delivered from all temptation, because we realize that facing and overcoming it by the grace and the power of God is actually necessary for the strength of our souls. But Jesus' prayer does ask God to deliver us from those overpowering temptations, which is a recognition that we are weak and we are liable to fold under severe temptation. You know this about yourself, right? There are some things that just make you sin and you just can't seem to stop it, right? Oh, God, everybody's nodding. Yeah. For many of us, this revolves around anger, right? We get angry and we sin in our anger before we can even, like, think. So do you pray, Lord, deliver me from that. Protect me. Let's take the Apostle Peter, for example. And I was just thinking about this this morning as I was reading through these notes. Man, how would it be to be one of Jesus' disciples, and for the next however long until Jesus comes back, you're the example of what not to do, Okay. So listen, it's Peter's wrong presumption of more spiritual strength than what he actually had that led to his failure. Right? He says to Jesus, basically, I don't know about the rest of these guys, but not me. I'll never forsake you. I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. And then just a couple hours later, he denies knowing Jesus uh, when the temptation comes. And the Bible tells us that when Peter realizes what he had done, he wept bitterly. See, see, part of what Jesus is, is I think, helping us avoid in this section of the prayer is the bitterness of presumption. The bitterness that comes when you presume that you're stronger than what you actually are, right? We've talked about this. People criticize Christianity. Oh, it's like a crutch. Yeah, because we're weak. I wonder how many of us who follow Jesus have tasted this bitter taste, Right? We wrongly think, oh, I can handle that. It's no problem. And so we don't pray that God would protect us from the temptations that will overcome us because we pridefully think, oh, there's no temptation that can overcome me. I'm sure. When in reality, that old hymn lyric rings true. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Those words are true. We are prone. So now the Lord goes on then in the second part to say, deliver us from the evil one. Again, depending on the translation you use, you might have heard that phrase, deliver us from evil. But the evil one seems more likely uh, the correct way to translate what Jesus is teaching here. He's teaching us here that prayer for spiritual protection understands and acknowledges that the devil is not just some cosmic force out there any more than the Holy Spirit is some good cosmic force, but that the devil, Satan, is a real being. You might say a person, right? Now, not believing that Satan uh, is real might be one of his best works. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his classic Screwtape Letters, which is required, required reading, uh, if you're a Christian, he describes it this way, um, that this is his best work. Uh, we're saying that we believe in a Satan. Uh, are we saying that we believe in like medieval Satan that's got green eyes and like a little red uh, body with, with cloven hooves and a pitchfork and he smells like smoke? Are we saying that? No, we're not saying that either. But what we are saying to those who might deny that Satan is real is that based on the chaos and the destruction that we see in our world, got a little close to home last night in West Baltimore, Right? Bunch of people got shot. Some kids got shot. Like, you look at what's going on in our world, and what I would say to you if you say, well, the person of Satan is not real, I would say, you know what? The burden of proof is on you to tell me that he's not real. We've heard this uh, voice a few times in this series, but this is Helmut Tillichy. He's a great theologian, and he said this in post-World War II occupied Germany. Okay, so take that context. Here's what he says about Satan. There is a dark, mysterious, spell-binding figure at work. Behind the temptations stands the tempter. Behind the lie stands the liar. Behind all the dead and bloodshed stands the murderer from the beginning. That's what the scripture calls Satan. He's a murderer from the beginning. And then a few lines later, he adds, Dear friend, in our times, we have had far too much contact with demonic powers. This is true today as well. And so the scriptures call this dark, mysterious, spellbinding figure Satan and the devil. Now, Satan or Satan, which is more how you would pronounce this word in Hebrew, is a common Hebrew word for adversary. Okay? And at 1 Samuel 29.4, David is called a Satan. You might remember in the New Testament, Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. Satan. David's called this when he's an adversary to the Philippines. Philippines. The Philistines. Wow. <laughs> Welcome back, Jimmer. <laughs> Philistines. Oh, man, I could go off the rails fast. <laughs> David is called Satan when he's an adversary to the Philistines. Uh, but devil, which is maybe the more common word we might use. I tend to say the devil more than I say Satan. Um, is the common Greek word for slanderer. In First Timothy 3, Paul says, uh, he's speaking to some women in the church, he, he says that they should be serious-minded and not diabolos or devil slash slanderers. Okay? Now, that's specific women in that church. Let's be clear, he's not saying that about all women. Okay? So... Satan, the evil one, the devil, is both our real adversary and our real slanderer. He is a smart, savvy, and stealthy enemy, and it is because he does not have hooves and the smell of sulfur that he's actually dangerous. And so the point here is simply this. Proper prayer acknowledges both our weakness and also the power of our enemy. Ephesians 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air, that the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You know anybody in your life you might categorize as son of disobedience besides yourself, obviously, right? His spirit is now at work in those people. And while he's not omnipresent, he tries to poorly imitate the omnipresence of God by having basically a host of evil spirits that afflict God's creation, you and I as his children, even as God sends ministering spirits to care for us in the church. I know we're getting into like, whoa, what are you saying up there, pastor? But this stuff is in the scriptures, and we might need to do some teaching on this. Second Corinthians 11 says this, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, So, it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Now, here is where digging into this prayer from Jesus is so helpful. See, you don't, I know that was a lot of like doom and gloom and there's like demons everywhere. That's not what I'm getting at here. What we, the point we want to get to is that we don't need to be afraid, right? If there's a two word phrase that I would want you to, have over your life when it comes to this stuff, it's fear not. Why? You don't need to be afraid because in the same breath as we acknowledge the enemy's power by correctly saying, deliver us from the evil one, in that same breath, we're also acknowledging that God's power is greater. He can deliver us. When we pray, deliver us from the evil one, we pray this in faith, believing that the one to whom we pray can actually deliver us from the evil one. Martin Luther, in his famous name, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, rightly said it this way, The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, one little word shall fell him. Deliver us, God. And right? we pray, deliver us, O God. What we're praying in faith is one little word from you, God, is all it takes. One little word. So deliver us from the evil one should be a part of our daily prayer life. Okay. So are we often asking God for his deliverance from our very real enemy? Are we asking God for that? Uh, maybe we've lost sight of the reality that we do have a real spiritual enemy who seeks our destruction in insidious Ways, maybe we've lost the sight of the reality that we need to pray, lead us not into the temptation that will overcome us because actually we're not as spiritually strong as we think we are and we need God to come through for us. Lord, I need you to protect me. So while we acknowledge that temptation is in some way necessary for our spiritual growth, we also, at the same time, humbly ask that God will keep us from the temptations that are too great for us, that would destroy us. It's a humbling thing to pray, leave me not into temptation, Lord. I can't handle this. Right. That takes humility. You have to empty yourself of spiritual presumption. We must also pray, deliver us from the evil one, acknowledging that victory over our very real and very powerful enemy, Satan, only comes through God's power, Ultimately, as we depend on him and walk with Jesus in a daily um, rhythm of prayer. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for um, this prayer. We thank you for this template. Even the parts of it that make us feel a little uncomfortable, the parts that make us talk about an enemy that we can't see, but that you've told us is real, the parts that tell us to forgive those who have wronged us. Father, we want to live into all of this and trust you and not trust our feelings or what we think. But Father, we when we run into your word that makes us feel like something is wrong, help us to assume that it must be us and that we want to change and become people of love, joy, and peace as we live with you and walk with you and pray like Jesus taught us to pray, Father. And so we ask that you bless the rest of our time together as we enjoy this expression of community as we enjoy this foreshadow of the feast that we're going to participate in when we get into the kingdom, when Jesus returns. And so, Father, we ask that you bless the rest of this time and our moments together here this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.